Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sometimes inspiration will come out of the blue, and that's great. But a lot of the time, you just have to put yourself in the space to accept some. You know, it's like a job. So if you show up to work, right, you might have a bad day's work, but you've worked. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to comedian and rapper Joe Jacobs. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is made in association with the Comedy Crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. As a comedian, Joe has performed nationally and internationally, sharing bills with the likes of Bill Burr and Stuart Lee. He's been on Channel 4, BBC Radio 4, BBC 6, Radio 1 Extra. He recently performed on Harry Hill's Club Night on Channel 4, and his documentary Hip Hop's Laughing Stock was recently broadcast on BBC Radio 4. As a rapper, going under the name Jester Jacobs, Joe's music has been heard on BBC 6 Music, Radio 1 Extra, and he's consistently put out music since his debut, Mental Disorder in 2008. Joe has also performed two critically acclaimed solo shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and his videos online have received millions of views. I really enjoyed chatting with Joe. I first came across him because my at Weisbaum incorporates, I guess, some people would describe rap, but it's sort of under the pretense that he's a spoken word artist. And when I was in Edinburgh, I think in about in 2016, someone said, oh, you must meet the other Jewish comedian who does rap. <laughs> And he says, Joe Jacobs. And I think that's when uh, I first came across Joe and then have gigged with him quite a few times and have always enjoyed his sets. It's very funny, sharp. And uh, yeah, he kind of like effortlessly, effortlessly weaves between incorporating his, his rap, which is sort of like comedic, you know, in tone into his sets, but also often just goes on stage to doing straight stand up. So he can do either or or combine the two together. And um, yeah, we covered a load of ground. We talked about our experience of being fellow Jews and growing up in the North London hood, both attending Hebrew school and describing our displeasure for, for that. And Joe talks about how important it is to uh, 
keep perspective during these uncertain times and how that has helped him get over the uh you know the negative impact that this has caused on on the stand-up world and uh, and his career he describes struggle of writing new material when you don't have the deadline of gigs joe breaks down his uh, approach to creativity and the importance of having structure and routine to your your writing and creating and why he enjoys writing new material just before he goes on stage he explains how he deals with the anxiety of performing and the adrenaline of that that comes with having a really great gig and how he kind of got to a point where he didn't let it affect him as much joe explains the experience of his bbc radio 4 documentary and also breaks down how that happened and what it was like having his mum and sister featuring the documentary he talks about why he finds it so hard to work in a traditional career type job and the difficulty with feeling joyful but not looking like he has a joyful face according to uh, some of his friends we exchange our stories of getting mugged in the burbs and how smoking weed affected our teenage years joe also talks about his mindfulness practice and how that has um, added a sort of new layer to his to his life and i guess creativity as well and the the difficulty with releasing content when it when you, know, you spend so much time on a on a project whether it be a video or a piece of music, and then it not receiving loads of online love. Joe emphasizes the importance of doing nothing. So, you know, if you're trying to figure out what to do next in terms of like creating content or whatever kind of creative endeavor it might be, not rushing it and just um, chasing the highs that come with uh, releasing content, because uh, as Joe explains, they are meaningless. So there is loads here. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Joe keeps it real and is very honest throughout this. And I always have a huge amount of respect for people who come on and just totally open and honest. So shout out and a big thank you to, to Joe for that. And um, I'm feeling I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling quite calm. I, I did mention at the end of the last episode that I would be going on a meditation retreat. And I did that last weekend. And I'm feeling feeling very calm off the back of it. Five hours of sitting down meditating every day is going to do that to you. And yeah, it's um, very, uh, it's a good thing. Something I think everybody should experience at least once. Just go on there and just do it. I mean, the first, the first bit, if you haven't done one of them before, you, you know, you are wriggling around. It's very difficult to keep still. But after a while, you settle into it and it's all right. And, and the voices, those annoying voices in your mind. What are you doing, mate? They're there, but they kind of quiet down. Anyway, if you haven't done it, definitely worth doing. And as always, if you like this episode, if you like Balancing Acts, the series, please do rate and review it on Apple, subscribe, all that jazz, namaste very much. So without further ado, over to Joe Jacobs. Perfect. First of all, uh, how's your, your Yom Kippur been, Joe? Yeah, it's been all right. Did you, did you fast? No. Neither did I. I take it you're not the religious type of Jew? Nah, I'm not religious. I like certain parts of Judaism. I like certain things, but... As in the cultural side of things? I like the cultural things, and there's a few, there's a few elements of Judaism which I think is interesting. Not many, but a few. I like the, uh, the Torah with the finger. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, the finger, yeah. Where did that come from? It's because, I think it's because the Torah, because it's made out of like animal skin or something, right? right. The original, the okay. proper Torahs are made of animal hide. Or, I might be way off, but the little finger, I believe it might be for two reasons. First of all, so you don't smudge the religious text. 
and also probably because like God probably wouldn't want you to touch it. Maybe. Yeah, some good. That's why you got to keep your keep your head covered because God doesn't want to see your head. You know. Did you go to Hebrew school? It sound by the sounds of it, you did. Yeah, I went to a Hebrew school. Yeah. Yeah. I I did not enjoy that. No, was, my one was shit as well. My my uh, my synagogue was trash, man. It was uh, where was yours? It was Edgware. It was Edgware Reform. Oh yeah, it was like yeah, a yeah, I live around the corner from there. Yeah, man, Edgware Reform. It's like it looks like it looks like Alcatraz, <laughs> and inside isn't much better. Anyway, on the on the subject of Torahs, yeah, I remember being taught, and I'd love to fact check this that yeah. when a rabbi is writing the Torah scrolls. If he makes a mistake, uh, he can't destroy the bit of scroll because if in Judaism, if you write God, you have to do a dash with it because you can't ever remove God's name, you know, because it's holy. You can't just yeah. rub out God. So lots of Jews will write G dash D. I used to do it because I was scared of God. Yeah, it was sort of, I did, I did the same. That was kind of like instilled into you in in hebrew yeah class. and it's like you're scared of god um, i grew up and then eventually i was like how petty is god that this is the thing that's going to bother him out of everything like really you can <laughs> yeah. like have a go at you one for thing when you die. like i noticed you didn't cover your head all of your life well no I'm, I'm sorry well what's what about when you wrote my name out you didn't put the dash on it you're you scribbled in, it mate. all up yeah, yeah. anyway i read i read that the um so if a, if a rabbi or whoever writes the Torah messes up on the scroll with God's name on a page, they can't destroy that. So apparently maybe there's like a vault of all these Torah's pages that got spelling errors on it. I doubt it. Yeah, because it's sort of like this never-ending paper, isn't it? So if you did muck it up. Yeah, yeah. that's true as well. That's interesting. Maybe you should do a new podcast about the Torah. Yeah. It's interesting. Isn't, well, you know, funny enough, just talking to my flatmate and he's working on a project with this writer director who's kind of doing this feature on these um, Hasidic Jews who moved to Canvey Island to start their own community. There's like four families moved to Canvey Island. And anyway, one of them, Moishi, surprise, surprise, is a, is a real character and wants to do a podcast about him as a Hasidic Jew meeting other people outside of his community. Okay. What's his name? Moishi. Moishi. Good name. So did you grow up around there, around Edgware? Kind of, yeah, those sides, yeah. How yeah. about you? Yeah, yeah. How are so, you, man? Yeah, I'm all right. I've been, been a weird few months, isn't it? Yeah, been a weird, it has been a weird few months, but... Not into it, I'm not feeling it. No. How have you coped <laughs> mentally with it all, and emotionally and all that sort of stuff? Uh, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> mostly, really, I've been all right. It's good days, bad days, but... I try and uh, keep some perspective because a lot of people have it worse. Yeah, this is true. Work's been pretty slow. I've tried to do what I can do. Yeah. But, yeah. Have you started gigging again? I've done a few gigs. Not near to the amount I was doing. It, I, lost a, I lost a lot of work. Things were starting to pick up really nicely. And Dude, I lost you wanna, yeah, because you, I saw um, the So Toxic set. And that went viral at the beginning of the year. That was banging. And then obviously the Harry Hills club night, you building up some serious momentum, it felt like. Yeah. But I mean, what is momentum really? I don't know. But I was, I was working hard and yeah, I was trying to just keep 
keep it moving. And then this stuff happened and then everyone was like streaming and uh, being big YouTube stars and all that. And I tried to make YouTube videos, but that's when I really actually felt depressed when I was trying to engage on a different platform rapidly. Right. I didn't really, I didn't really fall into that trap. A lot of people kind of <laughs> were just pissing out anything and trying yeah, to be yeah, like yeah. Noella in a fortnight or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a different ball game. But I did bits and bobs. I had a lot of music and music videos planned, and I was just working on that really. And I worked on my radio show, which was great. Time. Which was great. Congratulations! It was a really enjoyable listen. Thank you. Yeah, it's wicked to hear that whole journey for you. I only introduced rap into the stand-up quite late on. I did years of no music. Okay. And I, um, and I like to do lots of pure stand-up and put music in where it's appropriate. I don't try and jam it in every time necessarily. Yeah. Definitely want to write material as a priority and not use music too much as like yeah. a backup. It's always nice to have as a backup, though. Yeah, for sure. Get out of jail card. Yeah, but I like to, I like to I definitely try and be proficient with both at all times. Are you finding it hard at the moment to write material, stand-up material? Uh, yeah, I write bits and bobs, like, but I'm finding it hard to write because I don't have the gigs to roll out new stuff. Yeah, just try new stuff out. That's that's where I do a lot of the work when I'm on a stage. I have, I know I got a gig. I know I got to put in a few new jokes or try a few new ideas. And without that, I'm just writing ideas down when they come to me, but um, there's no deadline as such. So it's a bit, it's a bit trickier, but I try and do other creative things. Try and just write. Yeah. I've been a bit uh, undisciplined with it. I, I again back when things were normal I had a ver I had routine routine is so important to me for creativity and when COVID happened I just lost a lot of the structure of my routine I had to make a new one and so I how, literally how you... I forgot to do I forgot about stand-up when COVID happened really I just yeah. accepted some such a pessimist <laughs> I just accepted that comedy was gone forever is no that you genuinely thought that yeah Right. At the beginning. Okay. I was like, well, if there was something designed to ruin stand-up comedy, I think this virus is it, really, because yeah. it's like small spaces, airborne, no laughing because it spreads it, all these sort of things. And I thought, well, I guess that's me then. I'm done. But it was fun. Genuinely thought it. And people around me were like, no, it will come back. Yeah. Eventually. And I'm like, nah, I, no, I don't see it coming back ever. But that's how much of a pessimist I am. That's what I thought. And I let it all go. I stopped thinking about it for months. And what was that like? Just letting it go? It was horrible. It was horrible. But, you know, what we do is a privilege. So can't you have to just take it on the chin, you know? Yeah. What we do is a privilege. No one should expect to be able to prat about on a stage and be paid. It's yeah, a very, very silly thing to do. And I felt that all my chickens were coming home to roost over the last few months, particularly like uh, this is what happens when you dare to dream. Right. Okay. Reality will come back. Bites <laughs> on the bum, yeah. So d talk to me about, um, you're saying you're very structured prior to lockdown in terms of your creativity. How would that manifest 
like would you would you like every day set out how you're going to structure your day and like what to focus on different projects well yeah i realize that makes me sound a lot more organized and disciplined than the reality okay what i guess it means is i've realized um taken years and years and years but sometimes inspiration will come out of the blue and that's great but a lot of the time you just have to put yourself in the space to accept some you know it's like a job so if you show up to work right you might have a bad day's work but you've worked yeah so i used to like when i write songs sometimes like with writer's block and same with comedy and jokes you might write a pile of shit but you did write and out of all of that work something good a little nugget a sentence a phrase might come out of it and the routine of knowing that every day you're going to be at a desk for this period of time uh on this hour your brain eventually gets in gear and it's like all right well we might as well try and pull something out the bag here yeah so that's my approach yeah and i like i like the time before gigs as well for comedy specifically because i'm so lazy that i'll put everything off until the last possible minute usually right before i'm about to go on a stage so then i'm like ah oh, shit I, got, I really have to figure something out and i find that my mind in those moments quite uh my mind is quite open to navigating and constructing a bit of material right before i do a set right so you you turn up to the gig with a general idea of what you were going to be doing and then just yeah. sort of go into like turbocharge mode to sort of figure out the set prior to going on stage yeah the way i write material it's always different it's sometimes i'll have a fully formed joke set up punchline and i'm like i gotta try this full joke Sometimes I'll have a theme that I want to explore and I'll just go on with very little and just see what happens. And other times, like the copy of a joke will sort of present itself to me in the hour or so before I'm on stage okay. just because of a heightened mind, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. So when you do, when you do a gig and you've absolutely killed how are you after are you at a point now where kind of that adrenaline isn't as overpowering as it was when you first started to feel that or is it still like you're going home and you're just you're buzzing thinking about it uh i got to the point where it sort of leveled out a bit and um, it didn't overwhelm me sometimes you have a great gig and you feel it and you feel good but uh i got to the point where it sort of was stable and manageable, which I think is good. Yeah. Like, because also it meant that I wasn't, because I remember when I started for years, when I was yeah. shit as well, the anxiety of doing a gig, I'd have it all day. Okay. I'd do the gig. If the gig went badly, which it usually did yeah. in those days, I would feel it for another day or maybe at least that evening. Yeah. If the gig went well, I'd be walking on air and like absolutely off my tits on adrenaline <laughs> for the whole yeah. evening. And that's all I could think about. And that's not really healthy either, but I did so much comedy and was around gigs and that lifestyle for so long that eventually I got to the point where I didn't really think about it in the day. 10 minutes before I'll start limbering up, I could just walk on, do the gig, leave, feel kind of normal. And then that's it, which is a better way to be. I think. Yeah, that's a healthy place to be. And with the same, is the same applicable if you died on stage as well? You got to a point where you can just sort of shrug it off. Oh, no, no, no. You remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forever. But they, what happens is they, you know, they become less frequent, those 
tougher gigs and you do if it was an average show you can write it off a bit easier if we're talking about a spectacular death then you do have to have a think about what caused that but eventually it all becomes kind of manageable over time in yeah. my experience yeah so talk about um the documentary hip-hop's laughing stock how did that come about because i know you know obviously when when you're tweeting about it you don't have a manager or an agent so it's like it's a pretty amazing feat to get a, you know land a documentary that and also getting you know on the harry hill show etc you've done that off the back of your your own hustle how did that come about um so the hip-hop laughing stock thing came about because there's a dj i know from the rap world called okay. dj trice okay. shouts to trice and he was involved in i don't even know what it was called some sort of like i'm gonna just butcher this some like working class fellowship or something okay. <laughs> i don't even know but it's for people who are trying to get a start in you know audio audio documentaries and that industry where usually they won't sort of where it's you know full of who you know and nepotism all that shit and it gives yeah. people a chance to break in and work on commissions and get stuff off the ground and he was one of the people that was working that sorry that uh was involved in that and he had this idea and he approached me about being a contributor in it. Mm-hmm. And then I met the producers and basically I just managed to convince them to make it all about me. Perfect. I didn't really, but it ended up being about me. I kind of, I just went in and spoke a lot and eventually they were like, well, can't they asked me, can we make it with more focus on you? And I said, hell yeah, I would love that. And it was a really, it was such a great thing to make. I really like working with Trice and Reduce Listening, the company that helped push it. It's, it's been great. Yeah. It might, I mean, was it quite a cathartic experience? Because, you know, you're, you're able to like travel back and go through your, your career, you know, starting off with rapping and then the transition to comedy and getting to this point you're at now. Yeah, it was really cathartic. And um, yeah, absolutely. And it felt like, I don't know, like, because obviously all of this stuff is meaningless, you know, making Mm -hmm. content and everything, but it was nice to have a little story told about what, what I did, what I'd done. Yeah, for sure. And I, I love the bits, um, you with your mum and your sister, your mum. The thing with with my mum that's funny is she's a proper Jewish mother. She thought she's so funny. Oh, you got to get me on this. I'm hilarious. Oh, I've, got so, I've got so many things to say. I'll be amazing. The yeah. second the mic comes out, we recorded an hour of her. Yeah. All rubbish. The second that mic came out, she didn't know what she was doing. She just kept making up stories and lies. She was just making shit up just because she was panicking. It was amazing what happens when a mic is produced. She thought she was the funniest person in the room. It? But yeah, so we got a bit out of her in the end. And my sister... Oh, yeah, that was right, because my mum was trying to... She was, like, trying to be funny, just lying. About... We're just in lying about what? Okay, so when she's talking about describing you as being very hate... serious, is that factual or is that her bullshit? That was factual, but here's okay. a lie that she said. She okay. said, one, at one point we asked her, did you ever hear me rapping when I was younger? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I used to hear you rapping all the time. Really? Where did you hear me rapping? Oh, in the garden. In the, in the, in the garden. <laughs> 
It's just bollocks. She just made. She was just making up stuff because she didn't really know what to say. Yeah, she felt so nervous. What happened was we interviewed her. She was giving us nothing, and then my sister was uh, in the room at the time, and she basically sort of interrupted to sort of say, <laughs> "You need to stop rapping and you need to take your life more seriously." And then the producer's like, "Hang on a minute, let's talk to your sister here about it." And she kind of gave us the goods. That's what we were after. Someone right, right, of a reality check. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. What was it like? Because I mean, I know from you know, my experiences of, of getting into comedy and doing that sort of stuff, the, the anxiety that it caused my parents, you know, they wanted me to have, you know, a safe and secure job and, and all that sort of stuff. Were your parents like that? Because particularly in, you know, the Jewish family like world, a lot of people do go up to be lawyers and accountants and so forth. How were your family when you sort of got into rap and you you basically decided that's what you want to do as a career and then obviously comedy as well what's funny is my parents never gave a shit about anything i did creatively professionally i never knew any judgment uh from my father or mother to be a doctor or a lawyer anything they okay. they really and it was mostly because of negligence rather than <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't due to like <laughs> encouraging me to follow my dreams they just literally you know they weren't present they weren't yeah. catering to my emotional needs so they were divorced when i was a young boy okay. so i i actually resent them for that i would have preferred them to really make me hit the books and be a doctor or something making some serious dough because yeah, yeah this is not working out i want <laughs> money money you need the cashish mate so so what about your mates then from that you grew up with have some of them gone down the roots of like you know professional sensible careers and if so like do you find that you're like you're looking at them you're like oh fuck I, I want what they've got I, I want a nice piece of stability yeah man a, a lot of them a lot of them are very successful got homes you know married kids this is a good example of where I'm at and the differences between me and my friends I I saw a pal last Sunday for lunch yeah uh, and he he uh, was with his wife and young child, young baby. Mm-hmm. And I showed him uh, my push pop that I'd just bought. Yeah, Lovely. I had a push pop mega duo. And I showed him <laughs> it with strawberry and color flavor. And that's sort of the difference between me and most people I know. Was he impressed? He's got a child. I've got a push pop. He was as about impressed as you would expect. But I made my choices. I made my bed. I got a push pop. But yeah, I, I would like to have. Yeah, I mean, I've done things. I've worked in the corporate world and had proper jobs and shit jobs, all kinds of jobs. Yeah. And the truth is, for better or worse, I actually can't function in that world. I wish I could. Yeah. I wish I could. I just can't. Because what, you you can't be in an office environment? I've been in an office environment and I'll probably be in one again. Yeah. But in terms of playing the game and progressing up ladders. Oh, right. All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm incapable. I can't pretend to care. Right. Right. 
I think it actually might go back to, because I said my family are divorced. I actually think a lot of that is down to upbringing because whenever I was in an office, I always used to see the people that were getting ahead and promoted and all that. And they were the ones that really embraced the culture of a working environment. You know, okay. they, when a boss used to say things in the big staff meetings, like, oh, we're all a big family here. I was like, I don't have a proper family. I don't want to be in your family. You're what right. kind of family is this? You go to Mauritius with the secretary and I do spreadsheets. This is a shit family. <laughs> I don't want to be in this family. And that's probably why I never got promoted. Also, recently, a friend of mine has told me that I, um, she thinks I have no joy. She thinks I look like I have no joy, which I was very shocked to hear because I thought I could pretend to have some joy. <laughs> so I've been, now I've realized, this is actually over lockdown as well. I've realized I haven't been as uh, convincing. Right. As I you, need to, you need to get method. Basically, you need to find actual joy so you can be convincingly joyful. Well, that's the thing. I have joy. I have a lot of joy for all kinds of things, but I guess when I'm supposed to have some joy in front of someone, I might, I might not look like I have the joy. And that, I think that's cost me over the years because right. like in a, in a job, my friend also said this to me years ago when I asked him, I said, why aren't I getting promoted? This is about, I said, this is someone about, I don't even know, like seven years ago, a good friend of mine. I'm like, why aren't I getting promoted? I don't get it. And he said, well, think about the people in your office that do get promoted and that do well and thrive. Think about their faces every day and how they engage with their colleagues and they take pride in their work and how they carry themselves, how they walk around. And I'm like, yeah, I can picture that. And he said, think about you now when you arrive in the office with that face of yours and you're looking <laughs> at your laptop all day with your headphones in, hunched over. And I said, all right, now I understand. Yeah, that makes sense. I can relate to that. But you're really good looking. You, you have a lot. You've got a lot of joy. You've you're good. Fashion. You're good looking. When we did the uh, MCA, that MCA uh, gig a couple years ago, my oh. my mate's wife thought you were very fit, and really? um, they have like these code words for if there's someone that they they think's fit, they think it's better to sort of like have it out in the open. So they'll say, "Oh, that's a chicken." So a fit person, a chicken. So she thought you were a chicken. Chicken. A chicken. Thank yeah. You. So, yeah that's great that's always nice to hear nice to hear there's a bit of joy there for you <laughs> bit of joy that's good great yeah when you were growing up in the suburbs did you like, for me it was very uh, my teenage years were very uh, weed and skunk induced uh, whilst <laughs> listening to pirate radio and going to raves did you have a similar setting yeah 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 do you Absolutely. think were you a big banner so a banner for people who don't know is like a big, it's, is that a North London town? I don't know, but did you use banner? banner? Did you ever use banner? We used to, oh, we used to bun. We used to bun. I'd never say yeah. you a banner. You a banner. We used to say that. It's close to bumming. <laughs> it is, yeah. It is. Wanna, bun, bun sounds, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was a huge cannabis uh, smoker. Right, for a long Absolutely time. Huge, for years and years. Yeah, well, when I was a kid, yeah, that's what we did. In those days, kids today, they don't understand that, that back in the day, all we had, we didn't have phones. We just had cannabis and, uh, and bus stops and stuff. Well, no, we had cannabis and phones. There was cannabis and street robbery. That was all we had when we were teenagers. A lot of street robbery, yeah. 
kids today, I think when I see kids outside the Supreme shop in thousands of pounds of clothing, I think we should bring back street robbery sometimes because some of these kids, I, I don't know what's going on, walking around with iPhone Xs and this LV shit. Anyway, I, I agree. Digress. Also, I think like, I th- well, muggings in particular, they were a bit of an art form back then. Like it wasn't, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, it wasn't now we just, you know, bring out a gun or whatever. There was a whole repertoire that went with it. And yeah. uh, you had to, you know, I thought they, they, you had to be quite creative. Yeah, they had, you had all different types of mugging. You had, oh man, we had some, I had some classics. They yeah, had the knife under the, knife under the hoodie. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, I got a knife, I'm going to stab you. And then you think, is that a knife or is it just your hand? Do you want to take that risk for a thirty? No. Uh, I, had, I remember that one. I remember the. I didn't get. I didn't get jacked too many times, but the one time that we did get nailed was uh, we were around Finchley. We decided to like try and buy some fags or something. It must have been about fourteen, fifteen. We, we maybe three in the morning. We walk around to the high street, and basically this guy comes up to us in a hurry agitating he's like all right guys 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 guys. these there's a group behind me they're trying to jack me uh help me out please help me you gotta help me if you give me your phone i'll call my brother he'll come down and like all right stay with us stay with us we turn around there's like a gang of six fucking hooded up people heading towards us quickly no one on the streets and then we turn the corner and the guy that sort of first spoke to us he was like the ringleader and he just set us up basically so that was quite a good good one i remember (laughs) <laughs> I remember once um, we got honey trapped when we were kids. We all, we all thought we were gonna, we all thought we were going to meet some girls in the park when we okay. were like fifteen. I wasn't the person who organised it; someone else did because I no, we weren't even fifteen. Pretty younger. We were going to meet them in the park, and it was just going to basically I don't even know what we were expecting would happen. But we get there, we're hanging out. It's dark. We're in an enclosure, and uh, the girl. She basically just called a load of bigger boys to come and just fuck shit up. That was quite good. Fuck. I wrote a song about it on my first album. On my first album, I got a track called Run, which is all about getting jacked. And it's one of my favorites from, um, yeah, from back in the day because like, you always hear about uh, people doing crime and rap. And it's funny to write a song about being on the receiving end of crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the most great, one of the most creative ones we I had was um, one on a bus from uh, Stanmore to Hatch End, and uh, these Gully Gully Ends, Gully Ends, bro. Grandma and, lived in Hatch End. Yeah, mine might have been Harrow. Yeah, I might have been my way to see her actually. And these kids, kids got on in hoods, and uh, me and my friend were sitting in the back, and. One of them went over to talk to him and the other one went to talk to me. We're sort of on the back of the bus. And the guy talked to me. He's like, do you want me to show you a magic trick? I was like, yeah, all right. He goes, give me fiver. So I gave him my fiver. Puts in his pocket. Gone. I was like, oh, that's cool. Can I have it back, please? <laughs> Literally, I thought up to that point, it genuinely was a magic trick. Uh, that's my quite impressive. story I've heard, I think. That's... Yeah, it's a good one. It's good. And we had these two kids. I don't know if you ever came across them, but in Edgeware, they were notorious. They're called Ali and Isaiah. They used to mug everyone. They were the guys that made it an art form. Like All the other muggers looked up to those two. Really? Yeah, yeah. We used to hang you around. Knew their, you, knew, you knew their names? They were notorious, man. You ask anyone that grew up in Edgeware, every, like at that time, everyone knew them. Everyone knew them. They'd come from Graham Park Estate. 
they turn up oh, at Edra Station. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, like, and um, yeah, what they just what they get in early, put a long shift in, putting a long shift. They're grafters, to be fair to them, they were grafters. That's actually where I, work, I learned my work ethic from those guys. Yeah. But you know, I always think about it. Sometimes I, I Google Ali and Isaiah, I just don't get <laughs> nothing comes up. It's a shame I don't know their last names. It might not even be their names. It might have just been the stage name. But back to the, um, the weed smoking. Do you think, um, I mean, because I know from definitely from my experiences anyway, that smoking that amount of skunk has had a, a long lasting impact for me on my uh, later years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think it certainly is very dangerous um, for, for certain individuals. I think uh, it's, a, it's a tough one to broach because I don't want to ever stop anyone experimenting and doing whatever they want to do. I would never do that. Yeah. But that said, I think like, I think Britain has a culture like with alcohol when it comes to drugs that we just have to take everything to excess. Yeah. Yeah. Even drugs. Like the reason I, I, I don't really smoke weed anymore. I haven't done drugs in a few years now, any okay. drugs. The time I knew that I had to cut back on the skunk was when it just was, it was like a comp, Petition. It wasn't sociable anymore. Yeah. We used to share a joint in the park when we were kids. I started young. I started at like 12 smoking weed and we used to share joints and it was a communal ritual. And then years down the line, it got to the stage where you spend your whole evening with a group of guys. You'd all buy a bag, sit and smoke individual spliffs all fucking night doing whatever. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is, this is shit. What's this about? I love you guys, but this is shit. Yeah. And it, it affected my ability. It probably, I, I was self-medicating, so it probably affected me mentally with mental health. It definitely affected my confidence. Uh, it inhibited me in loads of ways. I think it probably affected my relationships with all kinds of people, relationships with the opposite sex as well, because you're just a nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. make you want to chat up women. No. So yeah, I, and then also when I started doing comedy more seriously, when I was rapping and being a rap guy, that didn't really matter because you can just be high and do that shit yeah. and practice in college. But with comedy, I had to make a decision about whether I wanted to really pursue it properly and give it everything. And that's when I had to just stop doing all drugs because the two don't work together really. You can't be out getting fucked up and then doing a good set the next day. It just doesn't work. You You lose parts of your... Your brain matter. So how many years but, ago was that when you decided to knock it all on the head? Uh, weed, I can't even remember. But like I smoke, I smoke, I've got like a little weed vape that I have, a little disposable thing. Like I'll, I'll have a puff really, really rarely. Like I had some in Ibiza, you know, I like a bit of hash now and again, but definitely, certainly not to excess ever. Same. And I quit, I quit real drugs. I was fucking getting mashed up all the time. That was maybe like four years ago. Okay. Years ago. It's funny now. Were you, were you doing sort of, the, well, usual class A type stuff? Yeah, a lot of crack as well. Never done the old crack? Never. No, I'm Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did crack, but I was like, I needed professional help because I was, like I said, self-medicating and now. Uh, Luckily, it all came to a head before I needed any any professional intervention. 
Yeah. Why are we talking about this? This is uh, this is like therapy in here. Yeah, that's we're what, talking about that's, process. That's what people tend to say is that this, these chats tend to be a little bit therapeutic in some sense. But unlike other therapists, I don't charge, Joe. So yeah, that's good. One thing I will say about uh, weed is I wish I could have a high tolerance for weed and just smoke it all the time and feel great and feel like Joe Rogan. I don't know. Is that Joe Rogan? That dude is just like he's doing these sort of deep conversations for three hours and just getting fucking high. I don't know how deep they are. The guy's a meathead, but a successful one. We to talk for three hours, like with someone face to face, and just get I mean, high. I couldn't do that. Have you, ever, have you ever hung out with a pothead? They do it very easily. Just chat shit. Yeah, comes naturally. It's not like he adds much insight into the proceedings. I, I think I would maybe be like two in my head, or I'd like freak out. You know, especially oh, if yeah, I yeah, streamed yeah. across the world. Definitely. That's what I mean. I wish I had the tolerance to smoke loads of weed chong it constantly go out party yeah. take everything get two hours sleep do my gigs but doesn't work it's the uh, jewish neurotic gene <laughs> it doesn't go hand in hand with the uh, hard drug taking um no. and, so, drinking. and the drink yeah drink i'm a bit better with a little bit better with but i used to used to be a big binge drinker as i'm sure you did as well is there any other way no, not when, not when the hooch is cheap. So what, what do you do like when you're not outside of comedy? Going back, I guess, what we're talking about in terms of like joy, etc. what's your downtime consist of? Do you exercise, you meditate or anything like that? Uh, exercise, rarely. I try and walk a dog. I'm about to start exercising properly. It's only taken me decades. What's brought that like? Uh, is it because of like lockdown? You just need to... I need to sort my. I need to sort myself out. Right. I want to be ripped. I want to take steroids. You just do that, mate. Do. Don't need to exercise. Just take steroids. I you still need to figure out what to do once you take them. I've been speaking to Darius Davies. He'll get me on the roids. Mm. Uh, I don't know if he is on roids, but he'd help me okay. secure the. Roids. I'm not going to take steroids. I'm just rambling. Uh, I like to meditate. I'm into med- mindfulness very much. Oh yeah, how long have you been yeah. doing that for? Mm, uh, but meditating about a year. Okay. Uh, but that sort of mindful attitude for a few years. I read a lot about it. I'm very, yeah, I practice a lot of that stuff in my day-to-day life. So outside of meditation, you'll, you'll practice it? Okay. Yeah. So like, yeah. Give, me, give me an example. Uh, well, like, like sort of processes that, people might take like i know people in recovery they write gratitude lists and yeah that's why I, I don't write them but i do like to take perspective on everything that's going on and actually <laughs> appreciate what i have be grateful for what i have see the positives in what's going on like regularly maybe see, a few not, times a day that's not pessimistic i know i'm not I, but I have to fight against being pessimistic and okay. being miserable. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's my, that's my default. Yeah. I don't want it to be. Yeah. Cause I, I think that. a lot of life is beautiful and I'm thankful and appreciative for life every day. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I can't fucking moan about some shit comedian that's on TV that I'm not, and I'm not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I have to say, well, I'm grateful that I've had X, Y, yeah. Z. Well, they're a nice person. I wish them the best. You know. Yeah, you feel and better I have for to it. Believe it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. want to be bitter and angry. 
forever it's it's exhausting have you kind of always been that way inclined in terms of if you see other comedians maybe who started at the same time with you and, and they progress a lot further have you found yeah. that difficult to sort of deal with uh, in terms of like getting bitter and that type of thing well i'm friends with a lot of comedians that are pretty much celebrities at this point yeah um and i'm i'm really happy for them yeah genuinely they're good people good acts yeah and they they work for it and they deserve it some people if they're like wrong ends there's a few of them in comedy mm-hmm. it's a bit more complicated yeah and i'd probably be lying if i said i didn't resent that because you know maybe i should be more successful because i haven't raped anyone for example but uh <laughs> put that <laughs> on your poster yeah exactly <laughs> So yeah, it's easy to resent people, but man, this industry is, <laughs> it's cutthroat. So you need to try and get it out of your system as best you can. The, the, the problem is it's all judged by your peers. You know, you, you judge where others are at because what's the barometer? What else is there? That's yeah. why there's a lot of creeps in comedy. There's no HR department. You can't go and talk to someone about how you're getting on at work. It's like, it's, it's meaningless metrics of success that you're putting up for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I've had to adjust those as I've got on in this and got older, certainly. Because um, it's like uh, you've got to take stock of where you're at. Like when I started this, the things I ended up doing so far, I would never dream that it would happen. Exactly, yeah. It's mad. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not rich from comedy. I'm not particularly well-known, but... It's still a joy, and I've still done a lot of cool shit, mm. crazy shit, but I never thought I'd do, and that's enough. That might be it. That might be as good as it gets, and I've got to be uh, thankful for it anyway. Yeah, it's a good attitude to have. Do you find it hard? I know I do. Like, in terms of like the online content stuff, when you slog it out and you make something, and then you put it online, and it does sweet FA. Yeah, man, slave to the algorithm. But you know what? That. That's, um, that's got to be a tune. That's the title of your next rap track. I'm very guilty of, of that stuff. Uh, it can really hit the mojo when you put something out. Like I put out a video, Cost of Living. My I love that. In. I love that, man. I thought it was, it was wicked. See, that's the thing. that It fucks me off a little bit because, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but, you know, you've got people who just put a phone in front of them and they do a, a vlog and it gets, you know however many views and then the stuff like that where it's like you've put in a lot of time and effort is is art and the disparity is just yeah it's, well, that's the youtube algorithm like you say not even the algorithm it's just what works what works will work for some people um but that to use that as an example that song's maybe two years old okay i went to Ibiza, i shot the original video myself okay it had beat and i changed producer for it so that had two videos two songs and i worked on it for two years yeah and then you put it out and it's like doesn't even make a dent really but you can't let that shit get to you these these new uh metrics and all this algorithm shit these companies design it to pit you against your peers and make you think it's important you shouldn't right let it be important like if if it can change one person or you know, if it had 800 views, that means that like 500 original unique viewers have seen it. That's, that's great. Yeah. Think about it like that. I know it's not easy. Have you always taken that perspective? Was that something that you've sort of grown to appreciate? You have to just accept it. Yeah. I'm always 
I always graft and always try and get seen and punt it the best I can. But what are you, you have to ask yourself, what, what are you doing it for? Yeah. What are you trying to do? Is it, do you just want to be famous? Do you just want to see 1 million hits? Do you, or do you just want to reach new people? How are you going to approach it? What, what can you do different? There's always things to do different. And it is, it is hurtful. It's tough. But we're in a tough game. We're up against children who have billions of followers, man. What can That's I say? Crazy times. Have you ever sort of like been tempted to just go down that route of churning out lots of content consistently? Yeah, I've done, I've tried to do it and I'm like, it's, it's hard. I've, I have full respect for them. Like I remember when the dapper laughs thing happened. Oh yeah. Cause I know Daniel and, uh, putting aside his, uh, missteps with whatever he did. Like the guy is a content factory. Yeah. Unbelievable. And you can't, you, you can't actually underestimate how hard that is to do. Like the reason I don't vlog and put out a video every day. I don't want to look at my fucking face for hours, editing my face. Yeah. Like, the people that do that, I've, I respect it, man. It's crazy. There's an art to it. Going back to what we're talking about, you know, having like a schedule for like your creativity and stuff, you've got to be seriously disciplined in terms of like your schedule, like, you know, to create the thing, write the thing, distribute it, get it out there. It's like... Uh, some, some comics no are just outstanding at that side of it. And I'm trying to make myself better. But I try and uh, avoid <laughs> things like that, time-consuming things. And I don't like putting – I actually don't like putting too much work in promoting it because, like I said earlier, like it does affect you. Yeah. There's numbers, metrics. If you spend too much time trying to beat this system and algorithm, you're going to be disappointed. You just have to do what you can do. Yeah. And then you by the – by the same token, when I put stuff on YouTube in the past, when I used to make sketches on there and, if you know, they did do good numbers, the adrenaline and, you know, just, I just get into this cycle of just checking it and seeing views and the comments, that's not healthy either. That's right. And they know what they're doing. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Like, you put on a video, I had a bit of material about it, like this whole thing on YouTube about thumbs up and thumbs down and who the fuck invented that? How can someone watch a video of Neil Armstrong landing on the moon on YouTube and then say, fuck you. But they knew what they were doing because the whole point is it keeps you checking your phone. You exactly. get, you get burned when you see a thumbs down, yeah. you get a hit serotonin when you see a thumbs up, but we didn't come in this game to see thumbs ups and thumbs downs. We came in to make what we make and do what we do. You have to remember that. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah, I think particularly during this period of time when everyone's just churning stuff out and you're not, you're not doing live, it's easy to get caught up in that and think, um, I need to be doing more. The most, important thing, the most important thing, advice for anyone in that position is do nothing. That's a meditative thing that I try and think of all the time. There's a lot to be said for doing nothing and just living, breathing, doing day-to-day -day normal things. Don't rush and put stuff out just because. Actually take some time. Think about what you want to do and it will come to you. If you're just like hamstering on a wheel, you know, you'll be chasing highs that are meaningless. Yeah, that's a great bit of advice. 
I wanted to ask you, are you a big uh, a reader? And if so, have you read any books? Are there any books that come to mind over the years that have had a, a big impact on you? Yeah, I'm a massive reader. I wish I had my Kindle here so I could tell you what I read. I love reading. I try it. That's something I do. That's another thing I'd say it's important if you're reading constantly, especially because if you consider yourself a writer and you're not reading daily, you're going to be writing bollocks probably. It's good to keep things flowing and be inspired from existing text. 100%. Get some knowledge, get a bit of insight. I like to read all kinds of things, but I am drawn to fucking grim things as well, sadly, but I like all kinds of books. Okay. I love autobiographies. Same. Any spring to mind? Um, I they really had an impact on you. I like the Steve Jobs autobiography. I like Mike Tyson's. I like... I read the Leonardo da Vinci biography. That was good. Yeah, I'm quarter of a way through that one. I like thing. I like reading books about social issues, social justice. I like Laura Bates, Everyday Sexism. I like what's that? I'm not talking to white people about race. That's a good yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. My favorite autobiography is the Chris Farley show. Okay. That's I've read that. It made me cry because I love Chris Farley and it's very tragic portrayal okay. of a talented guy. Um, yeah, I read a lot of true crime. I like the, the Alan Partridge book. And you asked me about things for inspiration. Any, yeah, any, any kind of books that, that have had a big impact on you or inspired you? There's a book called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. That I've was heard good. Of that. Yeah. I like, yeah, I read a lot of self-help books, but they're mostly shit. Eventually, you end up sort of repeating the same thing. I always find the self-help books, like for a week after, I'm buzzing. I'm like, yeah, I've got this. And then it completely just go back into my usual habits. No, not even that long for me. 24 um, hours. On the true crime front, have you read Tough Jews? No, is it any good? So good. It's about the uh, Jewish gangsters, sort of uh, Maya Lansky and, and those kind of guys and the, how they paired up with Lucky Luciano. And yeah, it talks about the whole history of uh, the New York Jewish gangsters and how they sort of running things before the mafia great all right it's a great read it's a really great read and yeah, there's and that, that period so yeah i'll check that out and and there's the author of that also uh, wrote another book called the avengers uh not the marvel one about a group of of jews who basically fought back against the nazis and and poisoned a load of them okay yeah i don't like nazis so that'll be good um, oh, what's that book Oh uh, yeah, Bird by Bird, Some Instructions on Writing. That's the book I'd recommend for writing. Rick. Okay, okay, brilliant. Thank you. A book. Brilliant. Yeah. That one out. And um, I wanted to also just touch upon you are, from what I gather, and you've quite been quite vocal in terms of on anti anti-Semitism. You wrote an article, didn't you, in, in Chortle? Have you like ex experienced like a fair bit of anti-Semitism firsthand as a comedian in industry? Uh yeah i have right in in what shape or form is that is that usually for is it from other comedians promoters or a mixed bag both but right. like i'm not i don't see myself as like a victim no like, sure it is what it is i yeah. think people should, uh have a bit more awareness about what constitutes it try and be a bit more supportive because what i've discovered over the last few years is um we're in a time where there's heightened empathy for lots of causes and they're all valid, but some are deemed more important than others. And yep. I'd like everything to be equal because I'm about equality. 
I think uh, people should just, you know, read a little bit and figure out what constitutes a bit of anti-Semitism or, you know, prejudice against all kinds of people, not just Jews. Yeah. Not too much to ask. Yeah, I've, I've always, um, because I might not necessarily be described as someone who looks uh, particularly Jewish, I, oh, yeah. in, in the past have been described uh, as what the Aryans are trying to create. And, and due to that, due to that, I've been privy to like anti-Semitism chat, you know, or banter, really? sorry. Yeah, on the inside, because often people, you know, hadn't realised at the time I was Jewish. So it's, that's inter- it's really interesting, I've found, being able to witness of that as sort of an insiders. What did you hear? Just the general lazy jokes and tropes. And it just comes up so casually. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? This is just the very, this is a very small time comparison to sort of other, other things that I might have witnessed in the past or, or been exposed to. I went on a bike ride during lockdown. The one saving grace for me was me and a mate, we would go on these big bike rides and we'd go cycling to Hertfordshire and come back again. We stopped off somewhere in Hertfordshire, this little calf, and got chatting to these, these two, two geezers. They stay had a, you know, had a cup of coffee and uh, we just got chatting. And he's like, oh, where do you, so where do you live then? I said, oh, I live in Stoke Newington. And he goes, I goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to live in uh, Stamford Hill. He goes, but I'm not a Jew, though. Like, <laughs> he said it just like, so defensive. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, didn't, didn't think you were, mate. Didn't think you were. Just, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. The thing is, I've spoken out about anti-Semitism, not because, like, I mean, I have been affected directly by it. Yeah. But I don't speak out about it because I want to, because I'm such a campaigner for Jewish rights because I'm so religious. It's just because I don't like hypocrisy. Like, I didn't know much about trans people, but I educated myself. I know trans people, same with gay people, same with black people. Where you, you educate about culture and you gain a bit more self-awareness and understanding. But with Jews, there seems to be like a bit of a blind spot for mm. even well-meaning people. You know, because the truth is, I don't really want to be a poster boy against anti-Semitism because many Jews are annoying. Right? <laughs> which is, yeah, which is very true. But if people are going to be hypocrites, I will call them out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair play. Okay, look, mate, I'm going to, um, I, I'll, I'll wrap things up. I'm going to ask you the question I ask all guests on the podcast. What does the idea of balance mean to you or not? What is the idea of balance? What do people usually answer? To be honest, you know what? Everyone has a completely different in- individual interpretation of it. So it's w- whatever that, however yeah, I, you interpret that. So the question is, what is balance? Yeah, what does the idea of balance mean to you? And I say, or not, because you, you, know, you might turn around and go, actually, I don't believe in balance. I believe in going all in on this thing and, and nothing else matters. Yeah, I actually probably would lean towards that side of it, to be honest. Like, balance, I would say, is perspective. Okay. Balance is perspective. So as long as... I've got a roof over my head, I'm healthy, my family, friends are healthy, and I can do creativity. That's a healthy balance to me. Because creativity is where you can be a bit gnarly and fucking drive to Leeds and do a gig and come back and all that and feel like shit for a day. But you've got to keep perspective and look after yourself so that you're able to do that and not be too hard on yourself as well. Great. All right, man. Where can people find out about Joe and your, your content that you release on a, um, a, a lengthy basis? Yeah. Um, subscribe to my YouTube, Jester okay. Jacobs. 
Okay. Jester Jacobs. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram with the same name. Okay. All right, Joe. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Appreciate you too. You take it easy, all right? Yeah, you too, bro. All right. See you out there. Perfect. And there we have it, Joe Jacobs in the building via Zoom. Great chat. So I've joined Fight Zone last week. I've been toying with the idea for ages. I'm sure you have heard on previous episodes that I used to I used to do a bit of uh, boxing and Thai boxing, and then I just stopped. And so I've joined, I've started, I've gone to this MMA gym and I've dabbled in a bit of Thai boxing and boxing. And I even tried Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I think that's a bit too risque with the old COVID, you know, rolling around with another sweaty person. (laughs) I don't really feel that comfortable doing that, but it was very enjoyable hitting those bags, get out a lot of frustration. And the playlist they were playing was banging, playing some 90s gangster rap. I was in the zone, you know, I was embodying my inner Rocky and it's great, so much better than going to the gym, just lifting weights. That shit is boring. I find it so boring. So that's my uh, that's my sort of latest fitness endeavor. So the next episode, I chat to Jacob Reed, who is uh, from LA, lives over there, and he is a improv teacher at UCB. He's a comedy writer and director and just all-round creative dude. So very much looking forward to that one. So yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that ep to drop. So until next time, guys, see you later. Balancing Acts is made in association with the comedy crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.